Today it seems like I'm bringing my whole church library up here, so. This week, there's, this past week, and the following week, there's a lot going on. Um, like today, I want to just, um, Veterans Day was Thursday, and since we're learning about Thanksgiving and prayer, it's appropriate that we thank our veterans, the men and women who serve served our country and still serving, but the ones who served, we thank you. I know there's a few in here that have served, so thank you, veterans, for what you have done for this country and for us. And if you woke up this morning, what was coming out of the sky? Snow. Anybody like snow? Who likes snow? And then when I thought of a book on my shelf. This is a reading, a prayer for the first snowfall of the year. So I want to read it. O Christ, King of snow, we bless you for bidding this blanket of white to cover us in holy hush, that our hearts might be quieted at the sight, that we might sense the emptiness of canvas over which your spirit broods and upon which you would create and recreate our hearts in the image of the one whose word first spoke snow into existence. Amen. Pray with me before we go into the word today. Oh God, we thank you for snow. We thank you for the changing of seasons. You have created them. We give you praise and honor and thanks for that. Thank you for this morning where we can just gather together to sing songs which we've just done, to praise your name. As we come to the word and the book of Colossians, help us to be attentive. Thank you for the people here in this building that will hear it, but also for the people that are online listening to this message from you. I pray that our ears would be open, our hearts and minds would be willing to change if we need to change, to become more like you. Thank you for Jesus and the reminder today of what he did for us. Thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So last week we looked at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we saw from the book of Acts, remember Acts chapter 16, that start of the Philippian church was just amazing. It started with a prayer group of women praying at the riverside. And we saw how the church started. And we understood what Paul was trying to say. And Paul understood the importance of giving thanks and the importance of prayer. Now we come to, this morning, the book of Colossians. Paul, again, writes to believers in the city of Colossae. So if you're turning there, as you're turning there, you will notice Paul gives a similar greeting as he does in all of his letters. He understands his role as an apostle. He knows that he's sent by God. He's, he says he's apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in Colossians here. He knows his role and he knows what he needs to be in this world, for him to go out and share the good news of Jesus and to be an encourager to his 
fellow believers. And you also notice again, like last week, he adds Timothy's name. Timothy, our brother. So Timothy's a trusted follower of Jesus and a minister as well. He is sharing in this ministry. Paul writes again, like last week, he mentions to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says again, grace and peace to you from God our Father. The easy English Bible commentator Helen Pocock wrote wrote this, Nobody can have God's peace, a calm spirit, without his grace, the gift from God by means of Jesus. You can't have peace from God without the grace. I said it last week, and it's worth mentioning again, true grace and true peace only come from God. We can't find it anywhere else. If you want true peace and true grace, God will give it to you. And it's by means of Jesus. If you're not there as you're turning there. Now, if you do research and you study the Bible, the start of the church in Colossae is nowhere to be found. It's not in the book of Acts. There's no, there's no place where it says, this is how it started. That's ironic to me. We saw last week the book of, um, you know, the, the church at Philippi. We saw that start. But the Colossae church, there's no mention of it in Acts. Now this city is 100 miles from Ephesus. We know that city. And it's 10 miles away from Laodicea and 13 miles away from Hierapolis. Have you heard of those two cities before? Both Laodicea and Hierapolis are mentioned in the letter to the Colossians. They're close by. And the only thing we have about the Colossian church is right here. The only thing we know about the church is from this letter from Paul and a couple, maybe a, not impl- an implied mention in the book of Philemon because he was a member of maybe this church. And as I was studying about that, I was just like, where's the start of it? I want to know it. Philippi church, great start encouraging. But where is this start of the church? But you read this letter and you get Paul's heart, why he wrote it. The letter to the Colossians is a Christ-centered letter. If you read through it, I mean, every, probably every verse is going to say Christ, Jesus, Lord, anything like that. It's going to say Christ. Over 70 times there are references to Christ in this letter. There's only 105 verses, or something like that. 70 times. If you get a letter and Christ's name is mentioned or referenced to 70 times, that's going to be like, okay, I've got to remember Christ. We did that today, right? Now, you say, why does he write that much stuff about Christ? If you read through the Colossian letter, False teachings are going around. Christ was important now, but there are other things. They're adding rules, regulations. You must follow this and Christ. So Christ was in their system of thinking and believing. However, Christ was just a detail. 
along, among the many details. Not the supreme head of the church. The place where Christ must reside. So this letter is very encouraging to the Colossian believers, saying, don't follow the false teachings. Yes, they're follow, they, they know Christ, they believe Christ, but there's other things they're trying to tell you to do. Make Christ the head, the center, the head of the church, and follow that example. So Paul writes this letter to encourage the church of Colossae to follow Christ and to warn them of the false teachers around He wants them to continue in Christ, have their lives rooted in Christ. If you go to Colossians chapter 3, I think it is, it says Christ is your life to the believers. It's not your own life anymore. Christ is your life. This whole letter, Christ-centered, we're only going to cover the introduction here. Colossians 1, 3 through 14 will give us a glimpse of what the letter is going to be about. And I'll reference the letter here and there because it all goes together. If you read a letter, if somebody sends you a letter, do you just read the first paragraph and set the letter aside for a week or two? What do you do? You read the whole thing all at once, correct? When you go to the letters in our Bible, do you ever sit down and just read right through it? Or do you read chapter 1 and say, oh, I'll get it tomorrow or next week? Or do you just sit down and read the whole thing from verse 1 to the last verse of whatever chapter it is? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever done that recently? Just to sit down and read the letter in our Bibles. One sitting. It's encouraging, especially this book of Colossians, because... Like I said, Christ-centered, we're going to learn a lot of stuff today. Let's read it together here. There we go. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understand God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves 
in whom we have redemption of the, we have redemption the forgiveness of sins what a start to a letter isn't it now have you ever gotten a letter like that i haven't look at the beginning here last week we looked at paul to the philippian believers right what did he say in philippians anybody remember how did he start Nobody remembers. How did he give thanks in the Philippians? He said, I thank my God, right? What does he say here? Does he say I? It's very simple. He says, we always thank God. Paul along with his fellow workers in Christ, are always thankful to God for the Colossians. We know Timothy is working with them, right? We heard his name at the greeting. Timothy, our brother. Epaphras, we heard his name. He's a fellow worker in the Lord. You go to chapter 4, what does it say? There's Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Luke, and Demas are all mentioned as fellow workers with Paul in the spreading of the good news of Jesus. We always thank God. We, all of us, are thankful for the Colossians. But who are they thankful to? We thank God for you. Thanksgiving is toward God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul adds, when we pray for you. We always thank God when we pray for you. When prayer is happening, these workers of the gospel message are thankful for the believers at Colossae. Hearing this we language In the letter, I echo Lloyd Lewis in his commentary on Colossians. He said, Paul rarely works alone. What an encouragement to the Colossian believers that it says, we always thank God when we pray for you. What do we learn from this we language? Here's what we can learn. Thank God that being a proclaimer of the gospel message is not solely based on the work of one individual. If we are followers of Jesus, we are all partners in the spreading of the gospel message to the world around us. That's what I learned from this we language. It's not just on one individual. It's not just Paul's duty to go share the gospel and thank God for these believers. There's a responsibility for us all as followers of Christ to be thankful to God for other believers. Do we stop and thank God for other believers? Or do we just thank God for one or two? Another commentator, David Guzik, wrote, Perhaps those who pray the most end up having the most reasons to thank God. Did you catch that at the end? When we pray. 
whenever they stopped for prayer, they were thanking God. So that's lesson number one. It's not just on one individual. We all have a part in spreading the gospel message and also thanking God for other believers that are doing the same thing. Verses 4 through 6, here's the why of thanking God for the Colossian believers. Paul and his companions have heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. Their faith is nothing was in nothing else. Not combined with anything else. Their faith was rooted in who? Christ Jesus. It was rooted in Christ Jesus. Remember the false teachers going around? Yeah, you have Christ, but you need these rules and regulations as well. But Paul and the we, the companions are saying, we've heard that you are rooted in Christ. Your faith is in Christ Jesus. They have heard about their faith. Now, you go in the, like I said earlier, there's no mention of the start at the, book, the, the church at Colossae. Paul might not even have met them personally. But he's still, it's remarkable how just hearing about their faith in Christ Jesus, Paul writes a letter to them. Isn't that just remarkable? I heard about this, so I'm going to write you a letter to encourage you. Then Paul writes on that they have heard of the love. You know, it's not just have faith in Christ Jesus. They have a love for all God's people. They don't just love each other. They love brothers and sisters in Christ in other cities and towns. Remember Hierapolis and Laodicea? So close together. They're encouraging one another in those cities as well, not just the city of Colossae. Where does this faith and love come from? You got it at verse 5. It springs from the hope they have in the gospel message they have heard and the gospel that they have heard and received is bearing fruit and growing all throughout the whole world. Do we see this happening today? Do we see the faith in Christ Jesus and the love for all God's people because of the hope we have? Do we see this happening today? We should be thankful when we hear the gospel message being spread throughout the whole world and that believers are strong in their faith and they love, they show toward God's people. We started prayer meeting, remember, a couple weeks ago. And the re- one of the reasons I wanted to start with Ralph as well talking to him, but I picked up the Christian standard and the Christians in the persecuted countries. Do we thank God for those believers and the work they're doing? Because we hear about it, right? We hear about the love and the faith they have in Jesus. But do we just stop and thank God for them just because of hearing it? There are believers that we will never meet personally, but we can still be thankful because of the impact they have on other people and the, sp- the, the love they spread toward all God's people by just hearing it. 
you ever get excited about news that you just hear? I do. When somebody tells you good news and you're not there, you just hear it, it's exciting. So let us be thankful for that. Verse 7 and 8 you come to. Now, I tell you, I sit in my office every week. I study, prepare, I read a lot of stuff. I know I do. You see books up here all the time. But when I come to verse 7 and 8, these verses struck me the most. Might not strike you the most, but they strike me. And I'll tell you why. Epaphras is noted as the one that probably founded the church. The believers learned about the faith, the love, and the hope from Epaphras. Did you read that? You learned it from Epaphras. Why did this impact me? I'll tell you why. Go to 1 Peter. Different writer, I know, but 1 Peter. I mentioned this earlier in, you know, a couple months ago when I started. But this struck me this week. And you know, let me tell you, I probably failed a lot of times so far. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Peter writes, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Why did this impact me the most? As I shepherd the flock here at Ferris Church of Christ that is under my care, I am willing to be what God wants me to be. I am eager to serve. And the most important for me, to be an example to the Ferris flock. Epaphras was a faithful minister of the, Christ, of the gospel of Christ. And if you turn over to Colossians 4, Paul writes this about Epaphras. Verse 12. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, can't even see it because my, my ears or my eyes are watery. I can't even see my Bible. All right, here we go. Verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature 
and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. I, as a minister of Christ, want you all to know that in the areas of thanksgiving and prayer, I am learning and growing. And my desire is to leave an example for you to learn from. If I'm not doing it, how am I supposed to expect you to do it? I'm a minister of Christ. I have to leave an example for you. That's why this verse has hit me the most. Because I was sitting at my desk, just like this, saying, is my example the best? Are they going to learn from me? Just like Epaphras in Colossae. Fumbling up here. But as your minister, I thank God for you all. And one thing I ask from you, I've mentioned it to a couple people. If you're here in prayer meeting, you've heard this before. Pray for me that I can be the example that God wants me to be for you. Pray for me. And in turn, I'm going to do my very best, like Epaphras, to wrestle in prayer for you so that your faith can grow and grow and grow, that your love for other people can grow, and that we can do ministry together. So that's why those hit me the most this week. I can't come up here and start preaching, and I don't even learn it. I can't preach something I don't learn. So I'm learning and growing in the area of these. Thanksgiving and prayer. So that's what hit me the most this week. And I needed to share that to you. Let's go on. Verses 9 through 12a, okay? 9 through 12a. Because of what was heard, okay? It says, for this reason, so whatever... You just heard me write, whatever you read. Paul and his companions did not stop praying for them. That's so cool to me. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. The continual prayer for the believers to be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. The Holy Spirit is working in these believers and working among us too, in and through us. The Spirit guides us into truth and helps us understand and know how to apply it to our lives. We can't know it on our own. We can try. But the Holy Spirit works in you and through you and guides you into truth and says, this is it and this is how you need to live it out. The Holy Spirit is working in these Colossian believers. And Paul is saying, we're praying that it is continually. We're continually asking God to fill you with the knowledge 
the prayer is for the believers in Colossae, but I think it's and believe it's for us today too. It's not just for the Colossian believers. And then what does it say though? They're continually asking God, fill them with the knowledge, fill them with wisdom. The Holy Spirit's going to give it to them. But what does verse 10 say? Not just so they can know a lot of stuff. Okay? We may know a lot of this. But look what it says. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. They're continually asking God, fill them with understanding and wisdom so that they can live a life worthy of the Lord. As we get to know Jesus better and in a more intimate way, we will start to behave more like Christ. Do you believe that? We will start to behave more like Christ once we get to know Him better in just that intimate relationship. Again, go to same letter, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. This is Paul talking about the new life in Christ. Look at some of the things Paul writes. Verse, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Since then, then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Verse 2, set your minds on things above. Verse 3, your life is now hidden in, with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, mentioned this earlier, who is your life? Verse 5, there's stuff you've got to put to death. Verse 10, 9 and 10, take off the old self. And then verse 10, put on the new self. Going on, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Verse 10 of chapter 1, So that you can live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing Him in every way. How do we do that? Read chapter 3. There's stuff you need to put to death and there's stuff you got to put on and clothe yourself with. Charles Spurgeon said this, Fruitful in every good work. Here is room and range enough in every good work. Have you the ability to preach the gospel? Preach it. Does a little child need comforting? Comfort it. Can you stand up and vindicate a glorious truth before thousands? Do it. Does a poor saint need a bit of dinner from your table? Send it to her. Let works of obedience, testimony, zeal, charity, piety, and philanthropy all be found in your life. Do not select big things as your special line, but glorify the Lord also in the littles. 
fruitful in every good work. If you have the ability to do something, do it. And then I'm thinking of books I've read. And then I'm like, there's something in this book that I have. It's by Lecrae. Probably never, but nobody's heard of him. Another rapper, I'm sorry. Lecrae writes this. He's just had a conversation with a, a young teenager that wasn't a Christian. And he's like, Lecrae, you shouldn't be listening to music on the radio. That's for non-Christians. And then he writes this. The chapter is called God's Poetry. But later in the chapter he says, This has changed the way I do music. There's no such thing as Christian rap or secular rap. Only people can become Christians. Music can't accept Jesus into, his art, into its heart. So I'm not trying to make Christian music or secular music. I'm just making music. Hip-hop, like all music, is a good thing. I could use it for evil by filling it with violence and misogyny and profanity, or I can use it to glorify God. Every song I write doesn't have to have the gospel spelled out or quote scripture so that people will know I love Jesus. My goal is just to use my gifts to produce great art that tells the truth about the world. If I see the world through a biblical lens, the music will naturally paint a picture that serves people and honors God. The same is true for you. If you are a politician, you don't have a secular job. If you are a computer programmer, you don't have a secular job. The term secular is defined as an attitude, activity, or thing that has no religious or spiritual basis. But there is nothing on the planet that God isn't ruling over. Everything a believer touches and uses in a way that honors God is, in a sense, no longer secular. We all bring our sacred callings into a world that God created and called good. And that has been tainted by sin. But where God wants to use us to impact for his glory. Some of you have multiple variety of jobs. I know it. Farmers. Maybe, poli no politicians, I don't think. But ministers. Uh, volunteers everywhere. You know, soap making. Carpentry, whatever Tony does. All the, all the jobs Tony does. Sheep farmers. We all have different jobs. But it can be used to bring God honor and glory. Because it's a place you can spread the good news of Jesus. The Message Bible reads this, As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. I love that. The more, as you learn more and more how God works, you'll learn how to do your work. Let us pray for each other to be filled with the knowledge of God's will that the Holy Spirit gives and that each of us live out the knowledge in a manner worthy of the Lord, fruitful lives for Christ, and the message of hope we proclaim. Let's pray for each other this prayer.
that you be filled continually so that you can live a life worthy of God. doesn't matter what job you're in, where you're at in life, you can honor God with your life and impact others along the way. Verses 12b through 14 serves as our invitation. If we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness, brought into the kingdom of Jesus, the one who has redeemed us and has forgiven our sins, let us be thankful for that. This is the hope that we have. We have a share in the inheritance because of what Jesus has done for us. This hope gives us energy. It gives me energy. And a drive to live worthy lives for God in the present. But it also gives us a hope for a future with God. And let me tell you, you won't even fathom what that's going to be like. You can try. But the hope we have gives us energy for today, but it also gives us an anticipation for the future. And then if you've never trusted Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Don't let it slip by. Don't say, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. True life comes from Jesus. You see it at the end there? We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Are you thankful for that today? And do you need that today? That's our invitation. Be thankful for what Jesus did for us. Or come to Jesus and then be thankful for what he's done for you today. Pray with me. God, you're so good. Every good and perfect gift come from you. The best gift was that you sent Jesus to die for us. Your redemption comes through Jesus and we thank you for that. Help us not to be mind, help us not to dismiss that and forget about it. But to remind ourselves daily that Jesus is the one who redeems us, the one who forgives us. Thank you for today. Thank you for the love that you've shown to us. Thank you for Paul's letter to the believers in Colossae. I just ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will so that we can go out and live lives worthy of you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.